This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Chris Nelson. Isaac Morehouse. (laughs) How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. So last time I had you on, we talked about Adam Smith, language, uh, culture, movements, a lot of sort of academic type topics. Today, I want to talk about something far more important and more serious for the future of humanity. And that is comic books, superheroes, <laughs> and movies made about them. Absolutely. From Adam Smith to Iron Man. It's a perfect segue. <laughs> I, that, is, that sounds like the title of a book. I could I could see something like that coming out of you. Um, okay, so... We've we've chatted about this a little bit here and there, but what really made me say, all right, we've got to do an episode on this, is when I went to take my son to see Ant Man, and you know, it kind of it kind of was the final, the last straw in this, or I don't know, the answer to this question I've had because I I felt like you know how movies go through these these cycles where all of a sudden disaster movies are really popular for a couple years, and then fantasy movies and whatever, and I feel like we've been in a superhero movie, like massively popular superhero movies, comic book movies for a long time now, a decade at least. And I thought, okay, they're g- It's going to run its course. And these are going to start to get so desperate and bad that they won't work anymore. And a movie about a superhero, which I didn't even know existed called Ant-Man seemed like this would be the last straw. This is going to be when this genre sort of jumps the shark for a while and goes back to being the stuff of a few nerds, uh, you know, at comic book stores or whatever. And it was a phenomenal movie. It was really good. It was really high quality. And I thought something bigger is going on here. And we need to we need to discuss why these movies have been so good for so long and what's going on with this genre. Uh, there's no question in there. That's a terrible way to start. I've done, <laughs> I've done this a lot of times. But I want to ask you first. Uh, did you see Ant-Man? I saw it. Loved it. I okay. saw it before it opened, actually. Yeah, I was so I was so eager to get in on it. How do you see it before it opens? Special sort of sneak preview. Oh, okay. All right. So were you, cause you're a big, you grew up into comic books and you've sort of kept up. You're, you're a fan of comic books and the sort of superhero genre and all the various stories in, in DC, Marvel, et cetera. Were you already aware of Ant-Man? Had you read the comics and things like that? You know, I, I wasn't a huge Ant-Man fan, but, but very familiar with Ant-Man. I mean, to the extent I was interested in the Avengers of which he's a part in fact, but so interesting about the movies these days is the ways in which they actually depart from some of the comic book canon, you know, Hank Pym, the Michael Douglas character, the original Ant-Man is actually one of the founders of the Avengers. And actually more than that, actually creates Ultron, which, you know, was the subject of another oh. Marvel movie this summer. So it's been kind of fun to sort of track to see where the cinematic universe is taking things. But yeah, Ant-Man is a, is a pretty interesting figure. And by the way, um, I, it's interesting. You definitely got the Disney version. Um, Hank Pym's actually kind of a weird character, very flawed interestingly i mean i think they kind of play up the idea that not only is he ant-man but he's very diminutive and i think he's very insecure about this believe it or not he's actually a bit of a wife beater in the comics so they take it in a very serious direction fortunately we didn't see any of that in this movie huh yeah you know that that is an interesting so of all these superhero movies that have come out in the last several years um and and so many of them have just been really high quality Probably the only one that really took you to the darker side, which I know is in a, a lot of the comics, was the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, yeah. um, where you kind of see, 
you know, Batman is, he's not necessarily a guy who has all of his issues under control. <laughs> and, and that kind of comes through. It's not, it's not quite as, um, lighthearted and cheery. And the, the movies, uh, are, are kind of downright like depressing in some parts, um, which is, which is what I think made them very good. Um, but, but I want to ask you sort of, this is a good segue to this as somebody who's, who's been into comics, uh, for quite some time and, and followed a lot of these different, um, stories, whether it be the Avengers or the X-Men or uh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Do you think that, cause here's my impression. I'll give you my impression. You tell me if this is correct or, or to what extent when it comes to turning something from one medium into a movie, the, the typical thing you hear is there's a book and it's turned into a movie and everyone who's read the book is insufferable about, you know, oh, well, the book was better. The book was way better. You need to read the book. Oh, they didn't do it justice. And people who haven't read the book are like, whatever, it was a fun movie. Um, but with these comic book things, and maybe I just don't know enough of them, I haven't really found people saying, oh my gosh, they butchered it. The comic is so much better. Even fans of comic books seem to be really pleased with the Avengers movies, with the newest X-Men movies, with the Batman movies. Um, have you found that to be the case, or, or, or is there anything about going to, to movie from comic book that has really sort of pissed off the diehard fans? I mean, you know, the, the most hardcore fans can find something to pick in any movie. I mean, even you, you can pick a lot of these apart. I sort of think in certain cases, I think we're at what I hear from fans and what I think in a number of cases myself is that that was great. If only they had done certain things and wasn't that cool. If only they had just done a straight adaptation of one of my favorite stories, boy, that would be, that would be even better. So I sort of hear fans saying, oh my gosh, this is happening. We live in this world now in which Captain America 2, which I thought was a see you know our childhood fantasy and comic books come true let's just keep going a film or even some of our wish list of stories we want to see adapted for the big screen whereas up till now we've seen we've seen bits and pieces adapted for you know larger cinematic universe by the way though i mean there are really high profile cases in which adaptations have gone really poorly in a lot of people's views and i think the best example of this is uh, is watchman which is which is a fairly iconic graphic novel from the 80s by Alan Moore, and it was made into a movie. I think around 2008, 2009. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked the movie. Was that nothing like the the books? The thing is, the problem in a lot of people's views is that it's exactly like the book. Um, and so it, the irony here is that this is a case in which some fans were ready for this to finally be done on film, and it had been in, it had been in production for years. Terry Gilliam at one point was going to do it, but um, in a way, it was too slavish. It was. Um, uh, it's one of the downsides of the medium, right? That you've got not just the script, but you've got the visuals too. You've got the storyboard ready to go. And I think that a lot of people's concern was that it was just basically two and a half hour slavish adaptation um, in ways that didn't allow it to be a great movie. And so I think that even though, by the way, I, I love lots of it too, um, but what's so cool about the most recent wave of comic book films, just even the last five years or so, is the way in which they're both appealing to the purists and the fans and just making objectively good movies. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what surprised me is, you know, there are certain, if you just describe to me and I had some friends who were into, into comic books growing up and they describe various characters and various stories. And some of them sound really interesting. Like X-Men is to me a really fascinating idea and interesting characters. Captain America just would never appeal to me. It sounds really cheesy, really basic. And I never saw the first movie, but I saw the second movie and it was a phenomenal movie. Not only did they make a character that sounds way too cheesy uh, to, to get behind, 
relatively interesting. The the plot was really interesting, but just as a work of action, an action film, a piece of entertainment itself, it was just a really well made, uh, well done, witty, fast paced, you know, high production values movie. And it's it's interesting to me how I think everybody now is sort of a casual fan of the superhero genre because of films. Whereas before it was like kids who watched cartoons or people who were really into comics might be into the superhero genre. Um, but it's it has this mass mainstream appeal, but in a really high quality way. What what do you like what do you think has caused that to happen? Because because comic books and superheroes have been around for forever. Why has it taken like what has happened in the last decade or so to to bring them on the scene with such a high quality and, and make them such a mainstream form of entertainment? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's probably several factors. I mean, I think obviously the fact that folks like in our generation who were maybe into comic books and it's in its prior sort of peak of interest around the early 90s. You know, we were we were young teenagers when um, comics was going through a revolution of popularity and quality. And I think we're now the working professionals demanding Hollywood make these films for us, right? We've got we've got the cash and and the time and the interest. And so they're stepping up. I also think that the people making the movies um, like us are folks from that generation who were fans themselves. And so I think if you go back say 20, 30 years, um, say Batman, Tim Burton's Batman in, in the in the late 80s. And and I think what, what was happening there is that these were these were studio movies. I mean, as innovative as Tim Burton was, he wasn't he wasn't the say comic book fan that the director of Ant-Man is or you know anyone really involved, say in the Marvel Cinematic Universe today, or even Zack Snyder doing Watchman or Man of Steel. I think what you have now is you have a g- interesting sort of sweet spot in which you've got Studios interested in making high quality movies that are also going to make money being driven by the same comic book talent driving the, you know, the the interesting sort of stories and comics. So Kevin Smith, the director, uh, who's also sort of very interested in comics, a big comic booster, he's got an interesting story about how in the late 90s Warner Brothers approached him about um, potentially starting up a um, comic book movie division at Warner's. Um, kind of in the way that like now Marvel Studios exists, right? And what was so funny is that they said, well, who would you tap to maybe write some of these movies? And he was sort of dumbstruck. He said, well, of course, I would ask the people writing the comic books that were so interested in adapting. And they they seemed to sort of say, well, no, 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 those are those are comic book people. We, we you know, we want movie people. And so I think that, that that's an older sort of distant detached mentality that I think we no longer have. I think there's, again, there's this kind of neat dovetailing of of studios deciding to make comic book movies, really interested in investing in this, uh, being run by people who are actually fans of the comics. And so I think that's in a way what's getting us the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. like good movies about great comics. What do you think? Well yeah, no, I mean, and, I, and I've wondered too how much the role of technology has played because, you know, some of the things in these in these Marvel movies or, or you know, any of the superhero movies, some of the visual elements... I just don't know how well they would have been able to be pulled off, you know, 20 years ago. Um, And that makes that makes them, you know, I mean, comic books are like over the top and exaggerated and full of wild and crazy stuff. But on the page, it really works. That's kind of part of the whole genre. When you when you translate it to the screen, 
I think without really quality special effects, it just comes off like those old, you know, Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek fight scenes, you know, where, where no one's hitting anyone and whatever. I mean, do you think technology has played a big role that finally people are able to do things on screen that they weren't able to do before? Sure. I think that's a part of it. I mean, it'd be hard to make a, an incredible Hulk movie, let alone a really good one, which I'm not entirely sure they've done yet. They've gotten close, but it would be really hard to say, do that in claymation or just to sort of paint someone green. I mean, we've seen that TV show, you know, <laughs> 30 plus years ago and, and it was good for the time, but you know, we can do a lot better now. The interesting thing, by the way, is, is in some sense, the technology is still sort of, it's still a crutch in some ways. I mean, take, take the 2011 Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. I mean, it was, it was the technology and the animation and the graphics that made the, the thing look so corny. It made it, in a way, it made it look so comic booky, y mm. um, in, in a way that actually wasn't really sort of helping to serve the story. Um, you know, it, his mask was, you know, green and bright and animated. And in a way, it looked like a throwback to that era the, the, the 80s, the 90s, when you're right, I mean, comic books are colorful, they are over the top, they are fantastical, but it's interesting. I think Dick Tracy, or maybe some of the Joel, Joel Schumacher uh, Batmans, like Batman and Robin, I think they're great examples of this. It was that kind of middle 90s era, era in which people who didn't know anything about comic books, other than that they were colorful and over the top, were making movies. Mm. Thus, take someone like uh, Uma Thurman, uh, playing Poison Ivy. I mean, all she's doing is just hamming it up because she she's never read a single comic book in her life, doesn't know anything about the character Poison Ivy, just assumes I should be clownish, I should be silly. Look at Dick Tracy. I mean, the uh, the, uh, the 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 makeup, the, the costume. The Warren Beatty uh, movie. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, his suit was was such a a radioactive yellow. I mean, was, <laughs> no one would wear that in the real world, right? The the masks were rubbery and stuff. Maybe that was the technological limitation. Maybe it was just the lack of vision. It might have been a bit of both. And so again, I think I, I got to come back to I think technology is helping to sort of make some of these things more imaginable. But it's it's the it's the talent behind the films that are also sort of trying to keep it at least grounded, right? In the comics as well as in the real world. Yeah, well, do you think there's sort of a, like, what translates on the page doesn't always translate? Because as you're describing Dick Tracy, I, again, I'm not super familiar with the comics, but in the pages of the comic books, doesn't he have like a bright yellow suit? Like something about some of the things you can get away with on the two-dimensional page without making the whole thing seem cheesy. Like you can still have it feel kind of dark and serious and intense, even though the illustrations might be really over the top. But when you translate those to the screen, it becomes more real. And if the effects are so unrelatable, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you think there's kind of a difference? Like you have to be more subtle when you go to the screen? I, you know, it's a choice. And I mean, I think like, I, I look, I think just Dick Tracy worked for me when I was a kid, when I loved it. You know, if I, if, if they released that today, it would look silly. And again, this may just get back to the point you were making that the makeup would be better. And although they may, they may opt to make it look over the top and on purpose, maybe, you know, maybe someone's nose wouldn't look so rubbery or someone's, you know, <laughs> fake, whatever. Uh, so I think it's a choice you can make. I just think that, um, I think the way in which movies, the comic book movies these days have decided to be a bit, a little bit more grounded in reality. So they would try and tone down the yellow. They would give, they would give some sort of reason for wearing a yellow overcoat, you know, in today's world, I think it would just be a little more helpful for that broader audience. But, uh, um, Hmm. It's, 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 it's tough. Uh, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that they'd give a reason. I've seen different superhero movies, address the it's it's been so interesting and in some ways incredibly creative and well done the way that they have attempted to 
both stay true to the tradition, especially with the aesthetic of various characters, but also make it believable and make it like a really drama with characters that you can sort of relate to. And like, if you want to be able to relate to someone, it doesn't make any sense that that person would go put on a leotard for no reason. But they've, <laughs> in each movie, they've handled this differently. They found interesting ways to say, oh, well, maybe the suit was designed with some you know, special ability, or sometimes they've poked fun of it, uh, and been like, Oh, it's some symbolic thing or like, you know, really, do I have to wear this suit sort of like throwaway line? Uh, but I think that's been a really interesting in each of these movies to see how they handle giving some legitimate excuse for some of the more over the top elements that stay true to the, to the comic book story. It's really fun. I mean, Captain America does a great job with this. I mean, uh, you know, you get to sort of see what he was like in the 40s when the the government was using him as a propaganda tool. So he looks like some sort of strange, strange, you know, character out of Greek mythology with little sorts of, you know, wings on his helmet, you know, but then he quickly sort of, you know, dispatches with that and then looks like sort of what a modern soldier may dress, you know, and so uh, Superman two is a great example. They finally gotten rid of the underoos on the outside of his, <laughs> his pants. Right. And it's one of those things, you know, it's, it, it, I'm glad they do that. Then again, I understand why they're there. I mean, every comic book character for generations had those because a lot of comic book characters were drawn to look like kind of Victor- Victorian era strongman, you know, the types of, you know, guys at circuses lifting barbells, right? You mm-hmm. know, just basically wearing a loincloth. That kind of kind of makes sense. So they get rid of that. But here's the problem, and I think like the, the pendulum swings too far. So let's say someone decides not to have the radioactive yeller Dick Tracy. They decide not to have the underoos on Superman. I think the danger though is that it's one thing to make a very earnest film grounded in reality that's like that's even as dark and as and as 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 uh, heady as like say Dark Knight. But I think we're we're about to enter a new era, and it's remains to be seen if it's going to work very well. I think with The Man of Steel, The Dawn of Justice, I think the new DC universe, I think, has not just taken the underoos off. I think they've taken everything, frankly, even joyful out of some of the comics. They've taken the over-the-topness away, and they've given us something so grounded in reality that I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's going to fly with as wide of an audience or even with the hardcore fans. Um, okay, I, I want to come back to that because there's something really interesting in there that I've noticed in several... Um, TV shows as well that aren't even in this in necessarily superhero genre, but I, I want to come back to that sort of dark, uh, maybe over seriousness, but it, you mentioned the Hulk and this is a really interesting one to me because even like one of the earliest of these kind of, you know, reboots of superhero movies was, uh, a new version of the Hulk. And I can't remember which one came first. There was, there was Edward Norton and then there was, uh, was it? Was it Eric Banya the next one? Yeah. Yeah. That was, the, that was the first one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Banya was the first one. And then, yeah. And it's weird. It's like they've tried like two or three times. And the Hulk, as a character in the Avengers, has seemed to work reasonably well. But these standalone Hulk movies have never quite had the same, like gotten to the same level as some of the other standalone, you know, X-Men or um, even some of the first Spider-Man, Batman movies, et cetera. What, like, is there something about certain characters that you just can't, or like the Fantastic Four? This is the second time they've tried to bring the fan, and it's like, okay, the time is right, the superhero movies are, are hot, you know, this is, it seems like there's nothing about that I know about those characters that would make them impossible to turn into a movie. But am I missing something? Is is it just the execution or is there something about certain comic books that are just not as translatable? 
It's a great question. By the way, it's actually the third attempt at Fantastic Four. There was kind of a somewhat cynical attempt in the in the early 90s to retain the rights. So there was a very sort of quick and dirty version of it put out that sort of leaks on the internet. And it's, it's terrible. They actually made fun <laughs> of it. They made fun of it in Arrested Development in the third season, actually. It's kind of a running, running uh, joke. Um, I think that the Hulk, for instance, I think he's a tough character to do in a standalone movie. And I think partly because there are very interesting things about the Hulk. Obviously, this, you know, this, you know, inner battle, this Dr., you know, uh, Jekyll and Hyde kind of kind of story. But I mean, the thing is, you you kind of just want to see him green the whole time and, and smashing stuff. And so I think the thing to do, by the way, would not to not have another origin story. I think it would be to adapt one of the comic stories, for instance, like the World War Hulk. This is an interesting scenario in which he's actually the Avengers kick him out of the universe and he, and he sort of crash lands on a planet and it has to sort of has to sort of battle there. And he's he's the Hulk the whole time. And I think that's very cool. That could be an amazing action film. Um, but the challenge, yeah, I mean, about doing a Jekyll and Hyde, you might as well just do Jekyll and Hyde. Right. I think you're just going to, you know, the thing with the Fantastic Four is it's such a tough thing because it's it's one of the earliest Marvel properties. It's the thing that kind of made Marvel. It is inherently corny. You know, you got a rock guy. You've got you've got characters who dress up in little leotard suits with a number four on their chest. I mean, <laughs> it it works if you're a fan. It works within that universe. But it's it's going to be really tricky to sort of try and do that for the real world in this kind of new Marvel grounded way. I think a really cool way of doing it would be just to sort of say. Keep it outside of the cinematic universe. Keep it outside of any continuity to Avengers or X-Men, what have you, and make it about the 60s. Set it in that time. It, make it intentionally corny, mm -hmm. right? Kind of just kind of help people suspend, suspend their disbelief. I think that could be that could be a fun way of doing it. But I don't know, man. I mean, I think like I, I think all these characters, the cool thing about all of them, with DC, Marvel, even other other uh, comics properties too. I mean, you've got literally thousands of stories to draw from i mean there is no lack of really interesting things to adapt for the film i i that's why i, I at the end of the day i sort of think like if, if it can't be done it's just it's just not being done well i think i think we can make it happen but we need to pick the right stories we need to get out of this view that everything needs to be an origin story we need to also i think uh, you become a real hostage to fortune when you try and make everything part of one continuitous cinematic universe i think it's time to kind of break some of them up fortunately the x-men has been right it's been able to kind of stand alone and i think that's been to its great benefit you know it's interesting i i always feel like it gets way too contrived when everything tries to connect to everything else on the other hand my <laughs> my 10 year old son the most the his favorite part of all of these like marvel movies for example is waiting till after the credits to see if there's some teaser that shows how Guardians of the Galaxy is going to connect to the Avengers or something like that. And like, that's his favorite part. He wants them to all connect. So there, maybe there's something about different age groups or some, some audiences that, um, are really looking for that tie in, you know, and I always feel like, Oh no, they're setting up for some giant mega movie that has like, like already the Avengers age of Ultron was almost like a little too much of everybody to get you know yeah. what I mean? To get, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. I it was just too, it was just, it was just nonstop action and one-liners were just like so many characters. Uh, it felt like a transition film because they're setting up for something yeah. to come next. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Now, what did you think of guardians of the galaxy? Guardians was great. I mean, I was totally blown away. It's funny in some ways. I think, I think whereas Ant-Man was the sort of the test for you, like, can this go right? Or is the bubble about to burst? Yeah. I was very nervous about guardians and for a couple of reasons. I mean, 
uh, it just, <laughs> there was something about it, the trailers, they just looked too slick, it looked too packaged, I just thought, oh my gosh, it's like, now they've got the Marvel formula, we're going to get it again, it's going to be just, you know, you know, they're just shoving it down our throat, but again, I loved it. The, the thing that, the other thing that really worried me as a comics fan, see, I was a, I was a fan, I was a reader of Guardians of the Galaxy about 20 years ago, but but back then, uh, that was a crew of characters, th that was a crew of Guardians that most fans of the movie who don't know the comics wouldn't know anything about, right? So the that's that's a it's a very old comic. The team has changed time and time again. So imagine my surprise when I didn't recognize some of the characters as guardians of the galaxy, right? And so, um, but that that's what made it cool. It was like, here we go, here is a really clever adaptation. Take these characters, take these basic ideas, take some of these basic villains and and make an interesting movie out of it. And actually, by the way, I think where it where it went so well is it it wasn't just the classic Marvel template. It was really like Star Wars, right? I mean, it was kind of yeah. like you know, a motley crew of people that's like save the universe and it worked so well. So well, it was a total hit. I mean, it was, a you know, what what was wrong with it, right? It yeah, no, I mean, I, I was truly blown away. Now, so so this brings up a good point. This is a good segue to, to what we alluded to before. In my mind, the, the Marvel movies that have been my favorite and have been the best, maybe with the exception of um, some of the X-Men, like X-Men Origins, I thought was, or uh, not Origins, but Days of Future Past, whatever it was called, the, the, the prequel um, mm -hmm. of the whole group. That was, I thought, phenomenal. Um, and it wasn't like this. And maybe maybe the uh, Cap second Captain America um, wasn't either. But the, the Marvel movies that have done the best or have been my favorite have really been comedies i mean like the iron man movies are just like funny throughout tony stark's character is constantly witty that's what guardians of the galaxy was like it was just witty and and really i guess they take themselves lightly in a way they're not afraid to kind of poke fun of the genre itself of some of the more absurd elements of the plot or the characters and they they have this kind of light-heartedness Whereas the, some of these DC, uh, you know, the Batman trilogy kind of gets increasingly dark and um, there's sort of a self-seriousness that makes them maybe a little bit more fragile. It makes it like the stakes are higher. It's harder to get away with things when you're when, when you're such a sort of dark, serious movie. And I you you alluded to wondering where that approach will go. But I, I've sort of wondered that, too. I mean, it's been surprising to see even in, in on TV series like uh Game of Thrones is a fantasy sort of fantasy genre, but it's so, so self-serious. It's so, I mean, literally like nothing happy ever happens, right? It's like really dark, really heavy. Um, and it's just been interesting to see that divergence. On the one hand, you've got Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like over the top lighthearted. And then you've got something like, uh, you know, the, the Dark Knight or, or something in, in that vein that's, that's very, very heavy. Um, what do you think of sort of these two different paths and, and, you know, which, which of the two do you think is the most promising and which one fits the, the genre, the comic book genre the best? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I used to be fascinated as, as a kid. I used to watch tons of movies and I used to, I used to wonder, could there ever be a movie without a single joke in it? You know, just even as a philosophical experiment, has it ever been done? Could it, could it be tried? I mean, the great thing, even about say the dark Knight, is there are jokes. There's moments of levity. Yeah. There's moments of levity in the Dark Knight Rises. You know, when Catwoman disappears and, you know, he goes, so that's what that feels like. That's funny, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. There's neat moments like that. The danger is that in the new DC universe, um, supposedly they've said that you, the, the, the uh, studio has said that there, there are to be no jokes in any of the movies. And I think that's weird. I just think it's really <laughs> weird. I mean, I just, I wonder, I mean, how, I mean, gosh, I want to, I want some, 
I want some moment of relief. You know what I mean? Otherwise it's going to turn into two and a half hours of explosions. And it's the kind of thing that just makes me feel I've, at the end of it, I feel like I've been doing crunches the entire time. I'm like <laughs> on the edge of my seat, you know, and I want to throw up. I'm just like, where's the fun? Because these are, I mean, at the end of the day, we can ground them in reality. We can take the underoos off. We can, we can take off the radioactive yellow overcoat, but they are comic books and they are fantastical mythological characters for kids. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean, they should be fun. I mean, the, I, I think the saddest thing to me about uh, Man of Steel, the, the most recent Superman reboot, is that um, there was nothing heroic about Superman. Now, I don't need him to be, you know, fighting for the American way anymore. He doesn't need to be nationalist, right? He doesn't need to be, you know, that grounded in the golden era of comics. But I want him to be a hero. I want him not to be completely demolishing Manhattan all la 9-11, you know, at the end of a movie for half an hour. I don't want the entire world to be skeptical of him. I don't want, in this next movie, I don't want Batman trying to kill him, you yeah, know, yeah. for reasons that seem sort of contrived. There are really clever ways in comics they come up to do this, right? And it would be cool to adapt that. But I feel like in this attempt to sort of say, you know, we're not going to be Guardians. We're not going to be Ant-Man. We're not going to be Tony Stark. We want to do our own thing. We want to be dark. And it's 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 unfortunate. Now, just to briefly answer your question in terms of how this sort of tracks with the comics, the comics are a mixed bag. I mean, Batman in the 80s took a really interesting turn for the dark in ways that are represented first in the Tim Burton universe, in which literally it's always seemingly nighttime, right? Yeah. Right down to the to the Nolan where no, he's he's a dark, flawed character, as you'd expect someone who dresses up dresses up like a bat to fight criminals to be. <laughs> um so to that extent, they strike it right. But again, there's levity in there. And I just worry like the next, the Zack Snyder universe is just, it's going to, it's going to miss the beat. That's really interesting what you said about Man of Steel, because I guess I didn't, I guess I didn't pick up on that. I, I watched it um, with my son here and we, we loved it. And I actually found, even though it was very self-serious and it was very sort of intense, now that I think about it, it didn't, it, it didn't have that sort of Superman as the like, heroic type of guy as much as he was a martyr you kind of felt like throughout the whole thing he's the guy you felt sorry for which is which is very interesting um to kind of take that character and i don't know i felt like it was like that popular song uh you know about well, i can't remember what it is, who who sang it five for fighting or something a pop, yeah. pop song about you know superman that you know he's it's like the, the underbelly, the soft underbelly of Superman. It's almost like that was what the movie was like. It was really, he, you know, he's this very intense look in his eyes, and he always has this sort of tragic look in his eyes. Like, And I guess his story is sort of tragic. You know, his parents are gone. He's here. He's got, you know, people misunderstand him. But the whole thing was like, it had this weird, like, poor Superman. He doesn't want to be doing all this, but he just, like, is trapped. He has to. It's like he was a martyr more than he was a hero. Whereas you, you compare that to sort of the cocksure guardians of the galaxy, you know, like, you know, the, the, the hero there, it's like a Han Solo type character. That's fun to root for. And to be like, yeah, you know, he, he got the bad guys. Whereas with Superman, like even when he would sort of save the day, it was almost sadder than if nothing had happened at all, <laughs> because there was so much destruction and people still didn't understand him. And very interesting. Very interesting. So, okay. So what do you think about, I mean, I don't know the comic book arc and how this stuff plays out, but I'm having a really hard time accepting that any good is going to come out of this Superman versus Batman movie. I mean, for one, 
Ben Affleck scares me as an actor. <laughs> but two, it just seems so hard for me. Like Superman is basically indestructible. How could Batman be a threat to him? What what is the genesis of this disagreement? Like it again, I don't without knowing the comic book stuff, I'm like really skeptical that this is gonna go well. Are, what do you feel? Are you excited about it? Uh it's a great question. I mean, in terms of Ben Affleck, believe me, when that when I first heard that news, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to like give up my citizenship on planet earth and just, you know, <laughs> but you go back, you know, there were the same sorts of things said about Michael Keaton when he took over Batman. And I think he did a phenomenal job, you know, and so on and so forth. Right. I mean, it, it, it'll work. I think that'll be fine. As a matter of fact, I think, I actually think more than anything, he'll be a great Bruce Wayne. So uh, he'll be a great alter ego in a sense. So that'll be neat to see. Look, in terms of, in terms of where some of these ideas come from, I mean, of course it's just, a bit of a fantasy just to sort of see, you know, your favorite comic book heroes fighting. But there's a really important comic arc uh, in the 80s called The Dark Knight Returns by um, by Frank Miller, who also did a lot of like Daredevil, a lot of it. He, a very, very important comic, uh, visionary, really in the 80s. Um, the basic idea in that, which is which would be so amazing for them just to finally adapt one day instead of borrowing bits and pieces, because you see bits and pieces in the Nolan universe as well. The basic idea is that Batman's retired. He's like in his 60s, I think. Superman's older, too. We're living in sort of this kind of corrupted Reagan Cold War era in which we're on the verge of nuclear war. Uh, and Batman gets fed up, right? He's left Gotham. Gotham's turned once again right back into a sewer and he wants to fight again. So he returns, but Reagan says, uh, we can't have vigilantes in the street. We have to maintain law and order through our own, you know, sort of governmental auspices. And so he sends Superman, who at this point is basically just like a, an arm of the state to put Batman down. Um, that's the impetus for the fight. Batman mm. develops this, uh, you know, sort of like super armor, which you sort of see adapted somewhat in the trailers for the, for the next uh, Batman Superman movie. And they fight. And as it turns out through some sort of like, not spoilers, FYI for anybody listening, through some some sort of clever sorts of ways. I won't give them away necessarily. Green Arrow's involved. Um, they actually take Superman down for a little bit, and Batman fakes his own death and then goes underground to sort of like continue the sort of fight for justice, what have you. Um, but in any event, that was a really neat, very well-contrived way in which to sort of put these two characters against one another. And I worry that that having worked so well and been so cool, now Zack Snyder is just like, hey, like, let's just have them punch each other. You know? <laughs> oh, and like, let's throw Wonder Woman in and Aquaman and Flash. And why not throw Martian Manhunter in there, too? Because, hey, what the heck? We'll get more toys. You know what I mean? Out of it. So it's like, are those I'm, characters all really going to be in the movie? Well, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, they're all definitely going to be in there. Uh, I've heard some rumors about and Robin might be in there. Uh, there might even be a few others too. So yeah, frankly, I'm very cynical. And the one, the one good thing I'll say about all this is that it's a neat experiment. Whereas Marvel has been very calculated and they've said, we need a whole range of, of solo origin films. Then we'll get to Avengers. In essence, DC has said for all intents and purposes, let's start with the justice league and then we'll branch out. And it's an interesting experiment to see if that works. So which of these movies uh, the in the last, you know, the, this this newest wave, whatever, wherever we're dating it, the sort of post 90s era of superhero movies, which do you think have worked best and have been your favorite and which has been the biggest disappointment? Mm. That's a, it's a difficult question to answer, I guess. I mean, uh, you, you have to you have to give Iron Man its its credit for just being so fresh and fun and so eminently rewatchable. Um, but in some ways, you know, the, the franchise has evolved from there, right? I mean, Guardians is, is fantastic. It's totally a lot of fun. 
I think my favorite, just to take Marvel, has been The Winter Soldier, the Captain America 2. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it stands on its own. I mean, you don't need to know anything about Captain America. You don't need to know about comic books. It's a great thriller. It also is contemporarily very important. I mean, it says a lot about where we are in terms of civil liberties and foreign policy and freedom and security. It's an amazing movie with a great message. To, I, to take that like that character who usually symbolizes just pure patriotism, pro-America, and to have him be you know, basically fighting against the uh, military establishment in some ways in the surveillance state was a really cool twist that I didn't expect. Yeah, right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. By the way, particularly because Marvel has a strange habit of subtitling movies in like very sort of like deceptive ways. So it was the Winter Soldier. And of course, the Winter Soldier appeared, but it was much more about this sort of, you know, Hydra takeover of S.H.I.E.L.D., much in the way that Age of Ultron is only about 10% about Ultron, and it's about everything else, but that's another story altogether. I, I in, a, in a way, so whereas Iron Man is one of my favorites, it's one that I think has worked well. It's a template to follow. I think Iron Man 2 was the greatest disappointment. I mean, it has to have been. I mean, it, it, it couldn't have been much better than the first. It was, it was a very necessary movie. You know, here you go. You had some sort of, like, run-of-the-mill villains, he introduced one of the future Avengers, Black Widow. You know, so it was just kind of, it was kind of meh, right? But honestly, Age of Ultron, I think it, it that's the one that disappointed me the most. And it's because they just put too much into that movie. And I think that they were partially bound by the, the efforts to keep everything in continuity. And I also think, I also think it's one of those moments in which I think hopefully they learned an important lesson that bigger isn't always better. And I think one of the reasons why Ant-Man, no pun intended, you know, being smaller, being, <laughs> I think it was, it, it's so perfect that it came after a bloated film like Ultron because it was simple. It was focused it, and it was, it was just refreshing. Wasn't it? Yeah. Age of Ultron on the other hand, I think age of Ultron was basically about four or five really awesomely potential great subplots. None of which unfortunately were able to have their full length film. Any one of which, if they'd had one, would have been great. I would have loved to have seen a whole movie about Hawkeye and his wife, a whole movie about Hulk and Black Widow, a whole movie about, you know, so on and so forth. Instead, you got you got just a little bit of everything, which basically on the whole amounted to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so is there, so I've started to wonder if these, the, the, the great success of all of these movies, especially Marvel, but uh, more broadly as well, these superhero movies and the way that they have continued to one will lead to the next and they can branch off in all these infinite directions. They can do these origin stories, et cetera. And they've worked so well and they keep coming out with them. And there seems to be a really large market for them. It almost seems in today's market that the logical next step is to sort of shift a lot of that energy from cinema to TV series because you can do so much more with it. You can make a whole series just about one. And you've started to see that you've got this agents of shield show. I know there's a daredevil show that's, you know, I know these are somewhat unrelated or at least daredevil is. Um, do you think that TV series is sort of the next growth area for the genre? I hope so. I, I, I a few years ago, Quentin Tarantino gave a really interesting interview in which, you know, he sort of was expressing some of his frustration with Hollywood. And one of the things he said he wants to do is he doesn't want to leave the business. He wants to get into TV because it's where he's able to actually take his time with characters. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of, instead of, you know, begging a studio to let the movie go, you know, two and a half hours, he can do, you know, an eight part miniseries on HBO. And I think that's been really neat. I think like take Daredevil or something on, on Netflix, which is a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it's a lot like a comic book. It gets mm-hmm. to take its time. Um, you get to go through each issue and see this stuff developed. You don't have to cram the origin 
and and the villain and the big action scene and the setup for the next movie all in two hours, you've got almost an entire day's worth of programming. And I I love it. I wish I wish it could all be like that. Um, I'd love to see I'd love to see the Man of Steel redone as, as a miniseries. Uh, without the constraints of having to make it this big, ridiculous, over-the-top epic. By the way, they in a way, they kind of did that with Smallville, which ran for about 10 seasons. A lot of it was corny, but a lot of it was um, was pretty heartfelt because they, they, they were able to take the time. You know, it's interesting. It, it almost is unlikely that the that the prominence of superhero genre in popular culture has taken the form first and foremost of movies because the miniseries or the TV series is so much closer to comic books in terms of the the way that they sort of come out as like here's a whole story arc or here's a series of issues or here's a it, it seems like it fits very well and especially the way people watch shows and and uh, series today is they audiences actually want like basically a 10-hour movie because they binge watch right they want they want a bunch of intermissions uh and short breaks but to say here's a whole season of, you know, Daredevil. And I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch like five episodes the first night and the next five, (laughs) the next night. And it's a, it seems like it's a very well-suited medium for that. So I'm kind of excited to see, you know, what the next um, steps are with that. Okay. So rumor mill, what's, what's on the horizon? What are any big movie or TV series uh, that are rumored to be in production that you're excited about? I mean, there, there are scores. I mean, I think the the, the thing that I'm most excited about is um, Deadpool, which is coming out, I think in February. Uh, so Deadpool is, it, you know, he's a Marvel character. He's, you know, sort of broadly associated with sort of like the the X Men titles of um, of comic books. He's not going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he's going to be over sort of closer to the uh, the X Men films. That's going to be great, and I think this is going to take comics, comic movies to the next level. As a character, he's he's fascinating. He's he's very violent. He's very deadly, but he's very snarky. He breaks the fourth wall. Um, lots of sort of you know meta comments about comics themselves um i mean that's yeah that's gonna be a very interesting uh, you know a very interesting change in direction if they stay true to that um that character to 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 be sort of making comments about comics or breaking the fourth wall that that's almost got more of a i don't know i don't want to say doctor who but there's almost a little bit more of like a an element of silliness it sounds like or or, or something it's going to be cheeky and it's going to be even better because it's, you know, he's being played by Ryan Reynolds, who was not only the Green Lantern, but people forget was also in Blade, which was um, which was one of the earliest attempts at Marvel movies uh, with Wesley Snipes. Um, That's long- a Marvel character, Blade? Yeah, yeah. I-, I remember watching those when I was younger. I thought they were just awesome. I just I had no idea that was Marvel. Yeah. In a funny way, you know, when you sort of trace the archaeology of this, you know, you, people often go back to either the first X-Men, the Brian Singer X-Men in 2000 or, or Spider-Man 1 is sort of getting this latest cycle started. Yep. You've got to go all the way back to Blade. I think Blade really does it, actually. So anyway. Fascinating. Chris, uh, this has been a blast. Um, we'll have to as more movies and TV shows come out and uh, we have more to more to talk about. We can do it again. I love it. Thanks, Isaac. You bet. Thanks for coming on. Bye.